Rory Sutherland, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School Leadership Seminar today. Praxeology, lessons from an overdue science. I pronounced it wrongly earlier. What is praxeology? Um, It's a slightly ambiguous word. Uh, What I think it does is describe an area of scientific inquiry and an area of business inquiry which needs to be much better understood, which is the study of how people act and make decisions and prioritize and decide. Um, It was, I think, first used probably in the uh, 19th century, possibly before, uh, where it was coined by, I think, a few economists and a few psychologists as a sort of necessary area of study. It was also adopted by the Austrian School of Economics under people like Ludwig von Mises. Uh, he believed that actually praxeology was the prior science to economics, that you know, economics was a subset of the study of human action and the study of human decision-making, um, uh, and that uh, effectively, economics was a subset of that being the study of praxeology under conditions of scarcity. Now, all I'm saying, really, is that there is undoubtedly, uh, recently, through, I think, the rise of behavioral economics and the study of uh, behavioral sciences in general, finally, I think, the promise of this area of study, the promise of this discipline that was spotted in advance by people like von Mises and other people before him, uh, is finally starting to be realized. That actually quite a lot of decisions and activities take place on, based on assumptions of how we act and decide and are persuaded that are simply woefully wrong and actually out of alignment with actual human action. And I think huge effort, both in the business world and in the political world as well, is wasted because of that failure to really study what changes people's behaviours and how people can actually either adopt new behaviours or be encouraged to maintain existing ones. Now, you held your audience here at the Cambridge Judge Business School tonight at the Leadership Seminar, spellbound, and I don't use that word lightly, by the stories and your command of those stories from your your story bank of of how actually we don't like McDonald's, but we go to McDonald's far more often than we we actually uh, go to the elite restaurants that, that... if the engineers weren't in charge of British Rail, would enjoy our journeys more because we'd have Wi-Fi and larger tables, not just shorter uh, journey times. You're so in command of this subject, uh, praxeology. Tell us why, as a business person, I should listen to it and think about it. The simple fact is that business has become over-reliant on two very valuable but incomplete areas of human insight. One of them is sheer logic, which is the neoclassical model of assuming that people are continuous utility-optimizing, homo economicus, rational engines of perfect information translated into perfect decisions, which is the model you know, applied to them by economics and to some extent by you know, accountancy and the spreadsheet culture, the assumption of, of perfect rationality and decision-making. The other one is, of course, market research, where you ask people to explain or predict uh, their own behaviours and the reasons for those behaviours. Now, whereas both those things have value, uh, in the great phrase, all models are useful, all models are wrong, but some of them are useful. 
And both of those things are incomplete. First of all, because there's a huge area of human behavior and human decision-making which we aren't even consciously aware of. We may only be viscerally aware of it and be unable to put it into proper words. Secondly, quite a lot of that behavior is in defiance of the conventional logical assumption of how people should act if they're acting in conformity with uh, standard economic models. Now, the phrase that might be used for that is irrational. I'm very uncomfortable with people using that phrase, in fact, because in many ways people who economists believe to be acting irrationally are in fact acting very sensibly indeed. But the vital thing is that if you rely too much or exclusively on market research and on assumptions of rational behavior by consumers then you will actually make, one by one, decisions which are either individually catastrophic because they fail to account for how people really behave and act, or decisions which collectively and cumulatively prove very, very unsuccessful. Let me give you an example of an extraordinary business decision because you like my stories. I Uh, love your stories, and so did the audience. this, This is a new story which wasn't actually in my talk, but I think it shows extraordinary and rare Uh, human understanding and it's the founder of Sony first of all he actually disregarded market research which told him that people didn't want a Sony Walkman lots of people said why on earth would I pay money to walk around with music in my head I'm not remotely interested and the first thing he did is ignore the research because he believed that actually um, people's stated intentions and stated preferences just weren't a good guide to how technology can seduce and actually change behavior simply by existing. The second thing he did was absolutely fascinating, which is the designers and engineers brought him the first prototype of the Sony Walkman, and it had a record button. Now, those of you who remember Sony Walkmans from your youth will remember that none of the Sony Walkmans we had could record. And sure enough, when the Sony founder saw this, his first reaction was, you've put a record button on it. Yes, get rid of it. They said, why would we do this? It adds quite a bit of usefulness to the device, and it only costs about 50 cents because effectively record functionality already exists in every single kind of recording mechanism. So why to save 50 cents will we remove this significant piece of uh, added um, functionality from the machine? And what the began said was an absolutely brilliantly insightful thing. He just said, it confuses the function. The second you've got a record button on it, what is this thing for? Do I listen to music on it? Do I listen to pre-recorded tapes? Is it a dictaphone? Is it a business purchase? What's this thing? It's a miniature tape recorder. This will confuse people's um, understanding of the purpose of the device, and it will diminish its singularity. And you told similar stories about that, and, and you concluded your talk here at the Cambridge Judge Business School tonight by saying that small things make an extraordinary difference to business success stories. So you're almost saying this thing called a praxeology that you, that you uh, talk about is as important as the engineer, as the management school theorists. I think it's alarming... Um, By the way, one thing I don't want this to be interpreted as is a sort of full frontal assault on engineering, on finance, on rationality, uh, on economics. It was. No, no, it wasn't. No, no. Uh, What it was saying is merely that those things on their own are incomplete. I'm very, very grateful for engineering culture. Most of the world's significant problems, you know, from sanitation uh, to electrification, have been solved by engineers. So it would be completely wrong for me to disparage the achievements of engineering. All I'm saying is that when applied in the absence of anything else, uh, 
it can be either wasted or misapplied or even dangerous. So, you know, don't get me wrong, there's a huge place for great engineering and scientific expertise, but it's also useful if that's married to an understanding of what people actually appreciate and how people actually think and act. Now, I mean, there are quite a few examples. I mean, if if you like, what I'm saying, I think, is that it's dangerous for organisations to have boards of directors which may have four people with a finance background, three people with an engineering background, and nobody who actually voices what you might call the psychological or the praxeological point of view. So how would that relate to career advice for our MBA students at Cambridge Judge Business School? Do do they need to think, well, perhaps in the past they've thought, well, I can't get to be a CEO without being an accountant, without having sort of a technical or managerial background. You know, marketeers don't get to be CEOs. No, quite right. Um, And... uh, um, you can't blame anybody for making that. All I'm saying is, you, first of all, you'll be a better CEO, as the Sonny case proves. Uh, you'll be a better CEO for having an understanding of people, which you can marry to your, your understanding of processes and businesses. You know, fundamentally, you know, many business decisions involve people who are either uh, you know, employees or customers. And to have what you might argue is that the shareholder value movement has grabbed so much attention from the CEO and focused it on financial institutions who are effectively highly rational and mechanistic that actually an area of very, very important managerial skill, which is human understanding in the wider sense, both of customers and of colleagues, uh, is in danger of actually being buried slightly or treated as if it uh, no longer has any particular importance. Rory Sutherland Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today, our leadership seminar. I've learned so much. Thank you very much. Me too. I love it. Thank you. Back next year, I hope.